New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Even though we ultimately desire to be happy, most of us find ourselves taking in sorrow, pain, and tragedy through everything we see, hear, and feel, both in our own experience and through the media. It's like we are breathing in suffering. And this suffering, both our own and that of others, can sit inside us, weighing us down and dampening our happiness and well-being. There is a Tibetan meditation practice called Tonglen that can allow that suffering to be transformed by the light of our true nature. It combines breath, awareness, imagination, and an energetic transformation process that opens our hearts to reveal and cultivate kindness, love, compassion, and wisdom. Today we'll be exploring that practice with our guest, Lama Paldan Droma. Lama Paldan Droma is a licensed psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, and coach. She has studied Buddhism in the Himalayas with some of the preeminent Tibetan masters of the 20th century, including Kalu Rinpoche, who authorized her to become one of the first Western Lamas. She is the founder of Sukha City Foundation, a Tibetan Buddhist center in Marin County in Northern California. Join us for the next hour as we explore an ancient and profound meditation practice that nourishes our hearts and awakens our mind with our guest, Lama Paldan Droma. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Lama Paldan, welcome. Thank you. Delight to be with you. It's my pleasure having you. Um, I forgot to mention that you are also the author of Love in Every Breath, Tonglen Meditations for Transforming Pain into Joy. And thank you for this book uh, that really explains and really takes us on the journey of this meditation practice. And before we get into that, I would love for you to say something about how it is that you became a llama, some of your personal oh, story. Yeah. yeah, well, I've always been very interested since I was a small child in what's underneath the surface, like in finding something that I thought in my little young three-year-old mind was more real under the surface, and that led me to study in spirituality when I got older. And 
really I had a lot of interest in all the different religions, especially in the mysticism of all the traditions. And I also simultaneously growing up in an upper middle class environment, I looked around at age 13 and realized that all my friends' parents who had gone to the best schools, had the best job, you know, created the beautiful life, were all miserable and neurotic. And that was when I was like 13, 14 years old. And I realized that all this did not add up to happiness and that I wanted to find a different route. I wanted to go a different path for myself. So then I set about finding that. And that took you to the Himalayas at some point, right? It did, yeah. And then... You know, I started studying and practicing zazen. I did a lot of yoga. I was studying in Sufism and mystical Christianity. I was studying in college comparative mysticism. And then I met a teacher in San Francisco, uh, old Tibetan master, Kala Rinpoche, and he invited us to study with him at his monastery in Darjeeling in India. So I went, and that was it. it was and how just old were you then? 25. 25. And I just want to tell our listeners, because we talked about, you and I talked about this before the interview began, Kalu Rinpoche, and for those who are listening, he spells his name K-A-L-U, Kalu Rinpoche. Um, he he was this small, sort of wizen-looking, uh, I, I don't know, he looks right out of Tolkien or something. In a tall, he, skinny form of Yoda. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and he just was the emanation. I had the the good karma, I guess, to to meet him and to be with him a little bit. And a truly, truly holy man that just exuded love, just exuded love. Uh, just one of the few people that I would consider a true, true Holy man. So you got to study with him in in India, is that or in Yes. Si- in India, in Darjeeling, his monastery was in Darjeeling, uh, not in the town itself, but the district of Darjeeling. So yes, I was there off and on for some years and uh, I felt really fortunate I had twelve years to study with him. Three and a half of those I was in three year retreat and didn't see him for that time, but he gave us all the uh, teachings, empowerments to go into retreat. So and then when you came out of that 12-year, what what is it called? He bestowed a lamaship or what do you, what do you call <laughs> well, it? Well, oftentimes uh, the three-year retreat is regarded as a training ground for the, being a lama, which is like a priest or a roshi or a rabbi. And so a year after my three-year retreat, when I finally was able to see him again, he, uh, in front of many people in Palo Alto in an event, authorized me as a lama and asked me to help with the center and various things like that. So that's that's beautiful. And in what year would that have so been? So that was eighty the end of eighty six. Okay. So and I was uh, thirty three or so, yeah, right. at that time. Right. So a long time ago. Yes, yes. But uh, very, very beautiful. And you also spent some time with the sixteenth Karmapa. In Sikkim, I believe. Yes, I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time with 16th Karmapa, and he also was such a huge embodiment of love, just 
the vastness of his love and all, and realization. And both Kalarimshe and Karmapa were complete embodiments of realization and love, but they were very unique and different. And I think that's one thing that these great masters show us is realization and embodiment of love and compassion can take many different forms and people have many different styles and personalities and that's wonderful. And I think it's really interesting that they had no hesitation in uh, recognizing you as a teacher as a woman. Yeah, I was fortunate. I don't know why, but I never for one instant felt any misogyny or like uh, I couldn't do something because I was a woman or any of that. I was blown away by how welcoming all these high lamas and great masters were and just incredibly gracious and loving. And there were certain old rules in the monastery that were, you know, had been in place for hundreds of years. And when the women showed up, I remember Karmapa just saying, oh, yes, well, whatever, we'll just forget about that. And they opened us to stay in the monastery, or they opened the monastery for us to stay, which was never allowed before. We were able to go in all the temples. So I experienced just great equanimity from them about the whole gender issue. That's that's beautiful. Well, I'd love for, for us to get into this Tonglen meditation. Now, Tonglen, and for our listeners, it's spelled T-O-N-G-L-E-N, Tonglen. But not to get hung up with this Tibetan term, because you call it love in every breath. It's so, you know, you really make it so accessible to all of us and beyond the Tibetan trappings. And because it's just really a a practice for all of us, especially in these times. And I would love to talk about some of the parts of it, and starting with one of the most important ones that I felt was um, the self-love, starting with self-love. And why is that important? Well, it's interesting. This version of Tonglen, and, you know, I talk about in the book, is from this uh, awakened woman, Naguma, that a thousand years ago. And this version includes that before you do um, the feeling and transformation of suffering of others that we do for ourselves first and that we very much cultivate compassion for our human self, and love. And I think this is incredibly important because many people find it easier to love others than oneself. But if we're grouchy and mean to ourselves, it's like at the center of who we are, there's like cruelty or meanness or hatred. And then it's not a full and complete experience and manifestation of love if at the core we're you know, completely berating ourselves and putting ourselves down. So I think it's brilliant that in Naguma's version in this Shampa Tonglen that it does start with oneself first. It's like love from the inside out so that love can completely penetrate us and our hearts are completely open to all that is. In fact, we're the first person in the center of our mandala, as Dingo Kensi said once. You know, that each person is the center of your own mandala. So from the center inside out, we want to cultivate love and not leave ourselves out of it. 
I think that you even talk about if if we really want to have love for others, the only way we can sustain that, and the, the word sustain it, is through self-love first. Yes, because I think if we haven't been willing to allow ourselves to acknowledge and feel and then allow through this process the liberation of the suffering of ourselves, if we aren't if we don't have the courage to face our own suffering and to feel and allow it to be liberated, then we're not really going to be able to go the distance with others, you know, because we are in some ways then afraid of the suffering. And that actually gives it power over us that it doesn't need to have. Exactly. And I know that one of the steps in the in the practice, and you you have eight steps. And why I before we get into into this step, I just like to say that you you have what you call on the spot practice. I mean, you if you go through the book, love and on every breath, you have the longer meditation or the more formal, even Tibetan part, you know, meditation. But then you have along with that this on the spot where you can where those of us in in western garb and in western uh practice we can we can just really tune into so i before we go into that i just want to remind our listeners that i'm here with lama paulden droma and she is the author of Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, Lama Paulden, and she spells that P-A-L-D-E-N, lamapaulden.org, O-R-G. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Lama Paulden Droma, and she is the author of Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. And I would love to talk about one of the steps of this practice and looking at the self, the suffering self. And this practice, and I want to say, this is like counterintuitive for most Westerners. To work on self-love? Well, because like in this practice, what you're doing, and I'll have you explain it, but what you do is that you have us 
imagine ourselves across from ourselves and and that suffering you imagine it as as dark smoke and then you have us breathe in that dark smoke and that's the part that is so counterintuitive for Westerners. And that's a whole thing about Tonglen is that, wait a minute, wait a minute, breathe in suffering? Are you kidding me? So uh, please help us understand this process. Yes, absolutely. And many people who have been taught Tonglen feel like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take in more suffering. But that's the brilliance of this particular Tonglen, is that first, before you do any of that, you acknowledge and call upon, well, call upon and acknowledge awakened presence. And in the traditional version, in the form of the Bodhisattva of Love and Compassion, Chen Rezi, I explain in the book that you could use Jesus or some other figure as the embodiment of awakened love and compassion. But you call upon that presence and then imagine that you receive the blessing and that actual divine presence, or in Buddhist terms, awakened mind, is actually present in your heart chakra so that it's not the ego that transforms the suffering. We feel the suffering, we develop compassion, and we breathe it in, and it's the true nature in the form of a brilliant light, uh, in the form of a vajra or a drop of brilliant light that actually then transforms the suffering, so that it's not our little ego trying to do this big thing. I love the visualization that you give us, is, uh, and, and it really works for me, I must say, to to breathe in, let's say, this dark smoke that we've already been sitting with, that all is good, all is well, all the is light. awakened. There's this light in our heart. And when that dark smoke comes down and hits that heart chakra, that light, and you use the term, it's like a lightning bolt, a lightning bolt of transformation. Boom! And then it, then we breathe out that light and that 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 healing energy. It, it, do I have it? Right? Yes, yeah. absolutely right. Yes, and this is this is the method as I learned it from Kalarimshe, who it was orally transmitted for a thousand years until now. It's the first time in its entirety it's been written down. So that's all part of this thousand-year oral transmission. Exactly what you said, and that. The true nature, divine nature, sends out a lightning bolt that instantly then transforms all that suffering into healing energy and love. And in the part of it where we're, we're working with our own self-love, then we send that out to that vision that we have of our own suffering self sitting across from us, facing us. Yeah, into our imagined uh, self, human self in front of us. So we're anchoring ourselves in a sense of being inseparable with divine presence, awakened mind. And then we're seeing our human self in front of us and cultivating a compassion for all our challenges, for our ups and downs, for everything we've gone through. And people do sometimes really have trouble with this, but if you really think about it logically, each and every being is worthy of love. 
and we're all essentially equal, and we're all worthy of love. So we can't exclude ourselves. We have to really learn to also have compassion and love for ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to love the actions of people. Exactly. We don't. It doesn't mean we condone our own stupid actions or anybody else's destructive actions at all. But it means that we recognize, say, take somebody who we think is really destructive and a harmful person, we can understand they're trying to be happy. And the way they're trying to be happy is by hurting other people, either inadvertently or on purpose. That is supreme stupidity to think that we're going to be happy by being destructive. It may not, you know, come back to us right away, but that is not the way to real happiness. And there isn't one philosophical or religious tradition on earth that will tell you that that is the way to happiness. So the people doing that, we can have compassion for them in their ignorance and stand up, fight against their actions, but yet internally have compassion and understanding that they are very, very confused and lost. Now, when you say stand up and, and do action, this practice also will help us from burnout, right? Yes. Because yes. I, as I, I kind of put it, I say, um, be an activist without driving yourself crazy. You know, I mean, so this practice helps us to do right action, let's say, but not be attached to the outcome? Or well, what, I think, what do we do? I think there's a couple things. And I wanted, hopefully, you know, activists to receive some nourishment and sustenance from this meditation and practice. Because in doing activism in the world, which is so important, as we know, and such a valuable service to humanity and to the earth and the animals, it's often becomes discouraging. And it's a hard road. So the activists need their hearts replenished. And this meditation very much replenishes our heart and sustains and nourishes us. So that's another benefit. Plus, as we do this meditation, we clear things up in ourselves and come to a place of more spaciousness, more peace, and definitely much more felt sense of loving kindness. And that clears the space for us to act more effectively. Right. We speak of the three jewels, you know, the Buddha, the Sangha, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about, first of all, establishing something in the beginning, and that would be called the Buddha, although it could be calling in any entity that really speaks to our heart. It could be Mother Mary. It could be Mother Earth. It could, could be, be the Great Spirit. Great Spirit, Wonka Tonkin, or, yes. you, know, you know, whatever our discipline or our practice or our particular religious vocation is or orientation is. Right. And that was really important to me. To, and Kala Rinpoche did this. He uh, had people from various religions that came and studied with him. There were quite a few Catholic priests that came and studied with him in India from different parts of the globe, you know, as well as other people. And so he would make these practices accessible to them, and he would say, adapt it, you know, for your own purposes. So 
it, this practice, the, the basic essential points of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha come in all traditions. So Buddha transits roughly as like awakened mind, awakened vast, unimpeded love and wisdom. So we could say that's the same as God, the same as Allah in its essence. Or Jesus might be or like Jesus a, a like Muhammad yeah. or Mary like Corn Mother or Lakshmi or Kuan Yin or you know, these principles are come in various traditions and the Dharma or Shekinah, I guess. The Shekinah, no, yeah, yes. from Judaism, yes. the feminine principle. And the piece about the Dharma is the teachings of truth. Well, that comes in all traditions. And the inner meaning of the Dharma is what we come to know as true in our own practice. And that truth really goes down into that it's non-dual, that we're not separated from one another, that nothing is, is separated. We're nothing. Not- is separated, and we're not separate from the divine or awakened presence. We're not separate from Buddha or God or either. And I, many religions, they'll talk about okay that that we're a wave in the ocean of God, but we're not. We might be this wave, but we're never separated from this great consciousness. And that's kind of a metaphor. To, to think about it, that we're part of this great consciousness. I think it's part of the great mystery that we're in is that our consciousness, there's no separation between your consciousness, my consciousness, anybody else's consciousness. Yet, we have unique consciousness, and that's the amazing mystery and of what we find ourselves in. So we get to express this in our own unique way. Absolutely, and that's part of the flowering of every different, every individual, all the different cultures, the different religions. It's the flowering, and I always feel like if, would you want to garden with just one kind of flower? If you had humanity with only one kind of religion or one way of doing things, that that might be okay, but it'd be a little boring. And so to have all these flowers of the garden, all these seven billion people, all these traditions, all these cultures. But really tapping into a single truth. Right. And the, the third one, what, so we said uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, or the truth. Of, and the teachings. Of, and the, yeah. And the teaching. And the last one is the Sangha. So what do you, what can you say about what the Sangha is? Well, in actual Buddhist terms, the Sangha means the enlightened Sangha. So it means all those who on the path that we're on who've come before us, who have demonstrated that you can achieve awakening or divine union. So, for example, in Catholicism, the saints are the noble Sangha. They show that humans can do this. Or in India, the the yogis and yoginis are the noble Sangha. They show that you can do this. It's not just theoretical. You can actualize awakening. So the noble Sangha are our inspiration, our guides, our mentors, and really to show us that this is possible. So there's great gratitude for those beings that show us the way. And all of us take inspiration not only from our own culture, but from other cultures, like from Gandhi or, you know, um, Nelson Mandela or other people. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's one way of, of really tuning into it. But also, 
our human companions who are are I call them sincere uh, seekers that we might be walking this pilgrim path with. Yeah, and that's a, our fellow companions on the path are a source of great support and friendship and joy and love. And and uh, I think it'd be hard to get through some of our hard times without our dear friends. Exactly. I'm here with Lama Paldin Droma, and she is the author of Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. She is also the founder of the Sukhasiddha Foundation, a Tibetan Buddhist center in Marin County in Northern California. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Lama Paulden Droma, and for our listeners, the way she spells it, Lama, L-A-M-A, Paulden, P-A-L-D-E-N, Droma, D-R-O-L-M-A. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, lamapaulden.org, O-R-G, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And she's the author of Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. And Lama Paulden, I'd love for you to say something about meditation and why it's important and help us understand our motivation for meditation and why it's important to tap into the right motivation. Well, our motivation, and this is really has to do with uh, step three in the book, is to benefit ourselves and all other beings throughout time and space. And the meditation is important because it helps us to bring peace to our minds and peace to our hearts. And it also helps us begin to see our thoughts and which thoughts we should go with and which thoughts we shouldn't go with. And it, it helps us actually in the final analysis to uncover the pure being of who we truly are, our true nature, our awakened self. So there's so many benefits of meditation, and then ultimately it brings us to see who are we truly. So we might tap into it. Many of us might tap into it So, for um, personal improvement, self-improvement, or uh, for to reduce stress, or to retreat from the chaos of the world. And that may get us into it, but you're saying the the bigger motivation that underneath all of that or the foundational motivation is for for he the helping others yeah for, and for really to transform and liberate our own consciousness and that of all beings so that as we work on transforming and liberating our own consciousness and discovering who we truly are and the nature of reality 
which is so much more magnificent than we normally think, then that affects consciousness for all of us. And also, in the Tibetan Buddhist path, every part of our spiritual path is on behalf of not only ourselves, but all beings, because it's recognizing we are inseparable and that the best way forward for all of us is to consider the whole, the whole of us. And I'm just thinking also in the Buddhist thought, it recognizes our innate qualities are that of goodness. And this is a little bit different from the Christian doctrine that we are born in sin. And I would love for you to talk about that difference in sort of view of who we are as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And in the late 80s and into the 90s, I started thinking about this, and it was one of those things where other people started thinking about it at the same time, because we noticed that in the West, there was there has been a lot of self-hatred and self-criticism and this berating and constant scolding of the self. And for me, living in the Himalayas and being around those people, it was very different. And the teachings of Buddhism is that we're basically okay, but we're just a little bit dirty and we need to clean up. And who we truly are is this incredibly magnificent, luminous, pure, crystal-like being, a really magnificent being. And that we are primordially pure. We already are awake, but we don't recognize it. And the path to recognizing and embodying that is the cleaning up of the crystal. And so this is very different than that we're born in sin because what I came to feel and other people have come to feel this is that that this doctrine of original sin, even if you never heard it in your life and you're a Westerner born in the West, born in a Christian or Judaic Abrahamic cultural, it's very deep in the psyche that there is something wrong with me. At the core of who I am, there's something wrong. I screwed up some, somehow, somewhere. So this feeling of like there's something wrong with me is very, very deep in the Western psyche. And I feel that it goes back to this teaching. And I think that people like, um, you know, in modern times have tried to, like Matthew Fox, have tried to give a different interpretation of that teaching, which I think is really helpful. But yeah, so that's the deal. So I think that it's very important for us to actually learn to love the self and to realize, no, we can't be mean in one area and kind in another. It doesn't add up. I, I'm going to go back to your childhood. There was something when you grew up in the Episcopal Church, and you loved your church, um, and you had this I will call it a spiritual enthusiasm. It was natural to you in some way. You just were in touch with it in some way. Everything was going fine until you were about seven years old, and something happened to you. And I, I'd love for you to share that story and tell, tell our listeners what you did for the practice you did as a child. Yes. Yeah, so I put this in the book because it's a spontaneous a thing that came to me that's very much like what this Tibetan Buddhist meditation is about. And so I was with my best friend across the street from my house, and uh, we were in the bedroom of her 15-year-old brother, and we were both seven. And all of a sudden, he asked us to pull down our pants, and you know, we were just innocent and clueless, and we did. And then he put his hand right on my vulva. And as soon as that happened, I felt 
that's wrong. That's something wrong. And I pulled up my pants and I ran home. And then after that, I felt like something had stained me or like there was something wrong or dirty on me. I felt like that. And I felt that. And somehow I got the idea inside myself to call upon Jesus. And so every night before I went to bed, I called upon Jesus. I would imagine him there in front of me like a a being of light. And then I would pray to him to purify me, to, to clean off this feeling of being stained or somehow damaged. And then I would um, see that, you know, from him would come this light inside of me that was his love, his healing energy, and that white light would fill me. And so I did that every night. And after I did a long time, which seemed to me at seven, about a year, I don't really know how long it was, but it seemed like I'd been doing it a year, every night before bed. And then I realized all of a sudden I felt completely pure. I no longer felt that sort of stain or that that feeling of being dirty or something. It was completely gone and I felt back to normal how I was before and just really good in myself. And so I thank Jesus very, very much for being with me and helping me. And then it was it was really a very profound healing for me as a child. And that's really almost like experiencing Tonglen as a child. And I, I want to say like I can remember myself as a child and the prayer that I would do every night. I would do, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. But at the end of that prayer, even as a little, tiny little girl, I would say, and God bless, and I'd say, mother and daddy and my sister and brothers, and then I would go out and and say, and all the people in my neighborhood, and and I'd finally get out to all the people in the world. I just kept going and going. And it was so natural to me. I think it's very natural, the love of a child for others, yeah. And that's that's been proven in research that you—in fact, I think that you mentioned that even a three-year-old has been able to do this practice. Yeah, I was so delighted that at one point years ago, one of my students brought her goddaughter— And the goddaughter was three years old, and she was distressed about seeing other kids suffer on the playground, like maybe some kid was being mean to them and they were in pain, or she was also uh, felt really bad when she saw dead animals, like on the freeway. So she wanted to know if there was a meditation she could do, this little three-year-old, to work with this, because she felt distressed, and she also really wanted to help these did she Other use beings. the word meditation, or what did she? she uh, I can't remember the word, but she thought I could teach her something—a spiritual practice, something. something. She I knew. think she actually knew. She had been taught a little bit about meditation okay. by her parents. Okay. She had witnessed them in yes, some way. Yes, her parents yeah. meditated, and she knew about it. So she asked me that. So I explained like an on-the-spot, simple version of the practice to her of this Tonglen, of the love on every breath. And she got it, and she was happy and thanked me. And then she came back like six or seven weeks later and said she felt much better, and it was really working. So anyone can learn to do this. And I'm thinking, too, um, as we practice this, and it becomes part of our ritual, so to speak. It just becomes part of us, and we really incorporated into our being, then it's available 
like exactly. in a moment. And you've had a moment like that, uh, I think a car accident at some point, right? Yes, yes, yes. So that's the beauty of this meditation is that once you're familiar with it, any of the steps can be used anytime, just in an instant. So say, for example, the first step is resting in open awareness. Say I just notice I'm very agitated. I can just let go in an instant and rest in open awareness because I've familiarized myself with letting go and resting like that. And then it's like a reset button on my entire physical and mental being. And also, you know, any of those steps can be used like that and it becomes very, very powerful. Like the step three of bodhicitta of engaging in our lives in order to benefit ourselves and all others. Uh, I was recently teaching this meditation at San Quentin, and some of the inmates that have been studying with uh, my friend who's a chaplain there, that's what they do. Like They go through their day, and they think, well, now that I'm exercising, may this benefit all beings. Now that I'm studying this um, spiritual text, may it benefit all beings. And they are turning, they have turned around their minds into wanting everything they do to be a benefit to others. And that's like so powerful and so beautiful. I, you know, working with some of these guys at St. Quentin, it's like you could just see that they've totally transformed their whole way of life and thinking, and it's brought them so much joy. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And I'm also thinking of, as you say, we can just tap into it in a moment. And when we're feeling that agitation, we're feeling anxious, or and we notice that. And you say, love on every breath, then we just connect our breath with that heart center. It's not watching our breath, but connecting the exactly. breath. Exactly. And I make a distinction about that, that it's not that in this practice, we're becoming one with the breath. So we breathe in the suffering. It's completely transformed by the lightning bolt of true nature, of awake presence. And then on the out-breath, that love and healing energy is sent out to others or to ourselves or to all of us. And so that's the love on every breath, the breathing in, the transformation, and then the sending out of the healing. And it can be done in just that moment. I'm here with Lama Paldon Droma, and she is the author of Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Lama Paldin Droma, and she's the author of Love on Every Breath, as well as the founder of the Sukha Siddha Foundation in Northern California, in Marin County in Northern California. It's a Tibetan Buddhist center. And Lama Paldin, I'm thinking when we're talking about like that instant that we can just just go into this and in the moment that on the spot, so to speak, you talk about. I'm thinking of a story that was once told by uh, Stephen Levine, the beautiful teacher uh, who taught many workshops on death and dying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, did a mm-hmm. book, A Year to Live, and uh, he's, he's passed in transition, but his teachings all stay with us uh, even now. And he tells a story of somebody doing a prayer on the freeway at an accident. Do you remember that story? I do, yeah. It was an amazing story. And he told about how there was a car accident that was quite bad, and somebody in a car passing that saw it happen and saw that it was very serious started doing mantras, Omani Padmi Hum, which is the mantra of compassion and is the mantra of, of Chen Rezi, the Bodhisattva of compassion, which is part of this meditation as well. So the person started saying this mantra of compassion for whoever was suffering in the accident. So, and then they drove by and continued. And then later, apparently, Um, The person in the accident, you know, when you are in a great shock, sometimes people have the experience of leaving their body. And this person in the impact left their body, was still conscious, and felt the mantra and heard it, actually. And how this happens, we have no way of knowing. But they were really appreciative because they felt the power of the mantra helping them in that moment. And so then... Uh, later when they healed, they, um, oh, and actually they had, I think, memorized the license plate of this car that they could tell where the mantra was coming from. All this in a split instant when they're out of their body in the accident. And, you know, time slows down in those situations. So later they recovered and the story was that they had researched whose license plate is this so that they could go thank the person for doing those mantras for them because they had felt them to be so helpful and they did find the person so Stephen Levine had told this incredibly beautiful story about that so you know I talk about this story as a way of saying that Everything we do makes a difference, whether anybody even knows or not. You know, whether we're doing internally or externally, our actions matter, and they can be a benefit. So that's a that's a powerful story, and it's really something that does tell us we never know the effect that we are having, and just to do it anyway, even... even right, and to do it anyway fills us with love. And so we become transformed. We become vessels of love, which brings us joy and contentment and peace. And then, you know, whatever we can do is what we can do. You know, I mean, nobody can fix this whole mess that we find ourselves in. But many, many, many people are wanting to contribute to do something beneficial. And that all adds up. You mentioned mantra. So 
I'd like to ask you the importance of mantra, of knowing knowing a mantra or speaking a mantra, or does it have to be in Tibetan or do, you know what? Talk about mantra. Well, it doesn't have to be in Sanskrit or Tibetan or Hebrew or whatever, but the ancient spiritual languages, including like Hebrew and Sanskrit and Tibetan and various other ones, when the mantras were given in that language, the sounds themselves have an effect subtly in our mind-body system. So those are particularly powerful because not only do the words mean something and those mantras are like the email address of certain divine or awakened qualities or certain embodiments of awakened presence. So there, those mantras are both like the easy access, the instant email to connect with certain awakened beings or divine beings, and also with those qualities that those beings embody, like wisdom or love or strength or courage. But also, mantras in English can be very powerful, too. And really, mantras help our minds concentrate, which brings us to calm abiding. So they're good. That's like point number one. But they also are transformational for our consciousness. And that's where they really come into their true efficacy. Uh, I remember years ago working with uh, Swami Radha who worked with Yogananda. She was in uh, Canada. And I remember her, she said, the importance of tapping into a mantra like Om Mani Padma Om, something like that, uh, is that so many thousands and millions of people have chanted that over centuries. And she said, you're tapping into that field of energy that of so many others. So it's not like a, a modern sort of thing, but something that has what Rupert Sheldrake, the biologist, might say is a morphic genetic field mm. uh, that goes along with such a mantra. Mm. Yeah, Does, my teacher said something to me like that once, too, that when we're saying the mantras that for... Hundreds or thousands of years, beings have said, people have said these mantras, and that many beings have awakened saying these mantras. So the power of their awakening comes into us, is transmitted to us through the mantra really as well. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to go back just um, briefly back to something we started the program with, and that was about um, self-love. And you tell a story that really resonated with me because um, it, it was a moment when you released yourself into allowing yourself to be helped by another. And this was when you were in Sikkim and you had pneumonia. And that somehow that, that story really moved me. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I was young, and we didn't think very seriously about things like having pneumonia, you know, I mean. So there I was in Sikkim in the monastery of Karmapa. I was actually in a house right next to the wall of the monastery with a Tibetan family, very, very primitive refugee conditions. But I was fine. I thought I was just stayed in my room, and they fed me, and I just stayed in there and waited till I got better. But after a month had passed, 
I had become friendly with the Bhutanese royal family, and there were two of the Bhutanese uh, royal grandmothers living there and kind of in semi-retreat at Karmapas Monastery in Sikkim. They were, you know, elderly by that point. And one of them in particular I knew well. And in Bhutan, I was used to uh, sometimes having a bath at the princess's house because a warm bath was not easy to come by in Bhutan. So they had invited me to have a bath at their house when I wanted to. So after a month, I thought, It'd really be nice to have a warm, hot bath. Here I am way in the mountains in the foothills of the Himalayas and hadn't had a bath in a month, just a sponge bath. So I walked up to their house and I just asked, you know, if I could use a bathtub or whatever. And they opened the door, one of the royal grandmothers and one of her daughters, and they looked at me with such utter compassion that I just simply burst into tears because I was halfway around the world from home. I was a young woman. And all of a sudden, you know, I was soldiering on fine, but their compassion just touched me so deeply that I just burst into tears. And I let it in, and they were so concerned about me because over there, nobody cries like they don't burst into tears they don't show tears so for them to see me crying for them was a cause of like great alarm like oh my gosh we got to do something this instant so they sprang into action to help me and yeah in that moment it was just the profound appreciation for someone else's compassion and how deeply that touched me and you carry that with you now, don't you? I mean, it, it, it never really quite leaves you. There, it opens something. I what think does so. it open? I think, you know, when we allow love in from others, it connects our hearts together and it connects all of us to something much bigger than we are. And that's, that's, love on a bigger scale, you know, way bigger than we are, like the basic fundamental goodness of human beings and how we care for each other. You know, like in emergencies, when all of a sudden people who don't even know these people are like really going, you know, at, to, against great odds to save people. To me, this demonstrates the fundamental basic goodness of humanity and our basic kindness, which, as you alluded to, research is now beginning to prove that this fundamental urge toward kindness, toward wishing the best for each other, really is in our makeup. Well, Lana Falden, I want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions today and giving us your loving compassion uh, and I want to let our listeners know that she is the author of Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. And if you want to know more about her work and her center, the Suka City Foundation, which is in Northern California, uh, you can go to her website, Lama org, O-R-G, and she spells her name L A M A. P-A-L-D-E-N, lamapalden.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3684. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.